Hi guys, we are back for another episode of Fullback, Barca Football's very own podcast, where we talk a little bit about Barcelona, a little bit about football and everything in between. It's been a tough week again. We take what we can get at this point, but it's, it's so funny because we, we say this every single week, oh, oh, this game is the finding moment of our season, and this game is the most crucial game of the season. And it's true because it feels like every single game, we have to win it. We just have to be good enough. We have to win for Xavi to retain his spot. It's such a, it's a dangerous situation to be in. But here we are. That being said, this week, we decided to do something a little bit different. We'll make it a, more of a conversation with, between myself and Dev. I'll ask him some questions that I think need to be answered, and he will ask me some questions that he feels need to be answered. And hopefully you guys enjoy this as much as we will hopefully enjoy answering them. And with that, Dev, I will give you the honors of asking the first question. I will ask the question that comes from the game against Porto. We watched Cancelo playing as a winger. The player we bought as a right back. And that seemed to get us out of the woods and we actually saw a dazzling performance. Now what does Xavi do with this? Does Cancelo keep playing in that position? It was a masterclass. There's no other way to describe it. And it needs to be said, that game was proof, as you mentioned in the beginning, of how much of, of a boost you actually get from a proper difference maker in a team. But that being said, all of that is, is valid and true. I would still say that was Cancelo playing as a left back, not as a left winger. Sure, the zones that he occupied, mostly it was intact. It was in the final third. He was high and wide and then go into the box. So yes, he was acting as a winger, but he was very much playing as a left back. So as a full back. And there's, I would like to start my answer just by saying those two are massively different in terms of execution. I still believe Cancelo wouldn't nearly be as effective starting as a left winger with a high starting position as he was against Porto as a left back arriving into a high position. There's a massive difference there and there are several factors going into it that we have to take note of. Firstly, it's the marking. So everyone was saying, oh, Felix, for example, he was so bad. He was not performing well. And once again, I watched that game uh, with everyone else and I thought he was very good. He was missing chances and, and he made some frustrating and, and questionable decisions. Sure. But that's besides the point. What matters for this discussion is that he was the left winger. Uh, and Cancelo was the left back behind him. So Felix's gravity always pulled markers away and it enabled Cancelo to receive in less crowded zones and in, in his favorable position. So that's very important first and foremost. Secondly, if you go back and you watch Cancelo's actions again and again, you'll notice that he often has a somewhat deep starting position and then he is allowed to run into space with the ball that had previously been created for him. And if he's a left winger who's got much less space to run into with the ball and is always crowded and doubled down, his efficiency would drop inevitably. Now, back to the original question, the optimal setup for him as a winger, if he wanted to be there, would be next to a great poacher, first and foremost. So a player at center forward uh, who moves really well in and around the box and and ideally a goal-scoring winger on the right side. Remember when we talked about optimal setups with Dembélé, it was a similar thing, only Dembélé was the creator on the right, and then we had a center forward with these qualities down the middle, and a left winger with goal-scoring ability. Now you just flip the script, just flip the, that on the other side and use Cancelo as 
the creator. So theoretically, in terms of profiles and not form, just profiles, both Lewandowski and Ferran would work down the middle. And the right wing, that's a bit more questionable, but Rafinha could, again, in theory, do this. In that setup, you could also have Balde, for example, behind Cancelo on the same flank, and he would be more of a deeper and more defensive presence. I feel like having a winger in front of him, having someone there to do half of the job just, or just to set him up properly, that's key to me. Where would you put Felix in a setup like this and somebody like, let's say, Gundogan and Pedri? Felix, if, so if, if Cancelo is a left winger, Felix is either on the bench or he is a center forward, I think, in that setup. Because the midfield, as it currently stands, is Pedri, Gundogan and Frankie, right? And I think that's Xavi's most realistic option. Not the most optimal. We talked about this at length, but it's the most realistic option at the moment. So I think Felix would either have to be played as a as a center forward or he will probably be on the bench. Or it can be Cancelo is the left back with the freedom to go and go forward with the ball. Felix is the left winger. Rafinha is the right winger. Kunde is the right back. And then we have whatever formation of midfield we have, depending on the game, was available and the opposition. And down the middle, we have a mixture between Lewandowski and Ferran. Would that kind of, would that be a better option? Yeah, absolutely. That's what I was just saying. Have Cancelo start as a left back. He can operate as a winger in possession. He can be high up. He can finish high up, arrive high up. That's absolutely fine. But he needs to start as a fullback. He needs a winger in front of him to do, to dismark him, to create the space, to allow him to carry the ball all the way down the flank, to ramp up speed, to, to use his, his progressive running, which we said that he would do on the right as well, which he does to the half space normally. But yeah, absolutely. I would still have a, a left winger and then Cancelo behind him who arrives into a high position up the pitch. Okay, let's move on to the next question. I'll the next question and I will go back into the midfield and tell me Dev, what do you make of this whole Romeo situation because what happened to him because people seem to have different opinions some say this is the regression to his mean to his true level and some feel okay it's not that it's just that we have deeper issues maybe even mentality issues that are bogging him down so what do you draw the line what do you think is happening with that player it, it, been a mystery to be honest, Dom. I spent some time because we were watching this discourse unfold on social media, and of course, his performance hasn't been the best in the last few games. And we spent so much time before the season started in the preseason where we talked in detail about Romeo, what his value was, how he could contribute to the team. And watching the first few games, you got the idea that yes, he was fitting that role, he was not the skets. But he was fitting that role. Now we have a person who has completed maybe 125 passes in five games in his last five games. And is probably not contributing anything to the build-up play that we have. On top of that, he gets dispossessed easily in the face of a press. And that causes issues. And we have been caught in transition one too many a time because of his losing position. And he's obviously facing challenges in bringing the ball out and connecting it from... Uh, the defense to the offense, like connecting the two phases of play. I, I, I don't think he's been able to do that. 
And that's why Xavi has also used him uh, sparringly. So his game time is also fluctuating. And the defensive consistency that we needed in that position that Romeo was brought for is lacking at this moment. That's the truth. That's what is unfolding right now. Now, is this his regression to his knee? I spent some time watching some of his games from last season, but he wasn't, he wasn't losing possession so easily as we see in Barca. If you compare him what he was doing last season. And that is surprising because that doesn't change. One would expect that he has that skill set to be successful in that situation. I do feel the position or the distance between our midfielders are very high in the face of a press. So when you want to do those quick triangles to get out of the press, it's not easy. And it's not just Romeo who is misplacing passes, even Pedri. So if you look at Pedri's numbers, 85% completion of passes from somebody like Pedri. That's low. Even he's losing possession. Gundogan's losing possession. So why are all these amazing midfielders... Okay, Oriol Romeo is not amazing. But Pedri is amazing. Gundogan's amazing. Why are these players losing possession in the face of a press? One has to think about that. So is it regression to his means? I don't think this is his quality. Having said that, he has been playing like this consistently for a while. Does he get the necessary support around him? No. If you notice, this started when Frankie got injured. There was a Romeo before Frankie got injured, and then there was a Romeo after Frankie got injured. So before Frankie got injured, that double pivot system was working. He had that support. When Frankie got injured, that support went away, and so his game also lost a lot of its efficacy. Now, Frankie's back again, but now we have lost Kavi. So there's compensation that has to be done there. So I do think that he is not getting the level of support that he needs at his level to perform in that role. So that's, that would be the first thing. So I don't think it's a regression to his means. I just think he just doesn't have the support that he requires for his quality of play to deliver on the job, which is a very uh, complex job in a Barca setup. His role in Girona wasn't this complicated. In Barca, it's a complicated role. It's one of the most crucial roles for Barca to build up play. And with Xavi consistently changing the midfield setup, there's constant chop and change happening. So the relationship that you need to build among a core set of players is just not there at this moment. And this is affecting the entire team, not just Oriol Romeo's performance. Having said that, now the next question is mentality. Now mentality is a very complex question. I'm not a psychologist to start with. Second, I don't know what's happening in that team. We're not there, at least I'm not there in the, in the sessions that they are training or what have you. Has the team, overall team, looked below par? Yes, they have. Do they all have mentality issues? I put doubt at this level of professionalism. There was this whole discourse that we lost to Real Madrid and we completely imploded as a team. It would seem weird if that happened. It can happen. But it would seem that it's weird. But I wouldn't say that this is just mentality that he, one day he just woke up and he lost all his confidence. That doesn't happen after when you've been a player for more than 10 years at the highest level. Right? Then you've done different leagues and you've gone through that. Sure, your confidence can get affected when you're not having game time. 
uh, it can get affected when you're making mistakes. The fans are behind you. And yes, that can happen in Barca. The fans can be very difficult and you have to deal with that as a player. So that can have a mental impact for sure. But I would fundamentally say that for Oriol Romeo to perform in the Barca system, the system has to be set up for him. If that deviates, then he will not be able to perform that role. If he has to perform that role, then he needs supporting acts who are strong enough to cover for his weakness. And there's chemistry within that setup to know how to play through a press or to tackle a press when it comes on. I don't think either of that is happening right now. Yeah, I actually, I agree with, with what you said. It's, it has a lot to do with context and everything around Romeo as much as it does with the player himself. And to be honest with you, this whole situation was as predictable as it was inevitable, to be honest. Back when he was first signed, yes, we called him a band-aid. You said it. It was never meant to be this long-term solution, but he, and he isn't. And back then, we also said that there will come a time when he will struggle. And when that happens, and it will, people will cover his head. And so they did. It was just too easy not to because having someone to blame <laughs> is what we do, right? It's what makes us cope with struggle easier and bars are struggling. So it's easier if we say, okay, X, Y, and Z are at fault for this struggle. So if that gets fixed, then we'll be playing champagne football in the But I don't believe this is necessarily a regression for the, the mean for a male. As you pointed out, I agree with that. Was he ever supposed to be the Busquets replacement we need? Of course not. No one, I don't think no one, I don't think anyone actually believed that. Um, but is he a bad player? Not by any means. As you said, when you watch him at Girona, when you watch even in Southampton, that's a different story. But the gulf between that Romeo at Girona, especially, and even in his first month at Barca, those first games that he played, I, I, I remember him being uh, very good, actually. And, and the Romeo we're seeing now, the difference between those two players is just, it's too big for this to be him at his true level. He is not a world beater, but he is a reliable and competent number six, a profile Barca desperately needs. He still fits that need. And in terms of that struggle that you mentioned, the context matters a lot, I feel. You said the distances are too big, absolutely spot on. I think Romeo in this system, he just, he's put in a position where he's, just going to, to, to fail. That's how it is. And that's what started the whole thing. And then comes the big jump from the lower, let's say from lower side, Girona and, and Southampton. That was different. You, you jump from that to a media spotlight nightmare that's Barcelona, where every single move you, you make, every wrong move, every loose touch, every bad pass, every bad decision, every bad game is suddenly everywhere, right? And it gets to your head. I think just it just he isn't used to this sort of pressure. But in his first three or four games, yeah, sure, he wasn't a Busquetter incarnate, no dog him raw, but he was reliable and he was competent. His touches were good, or at least better than they are now. His movement, his dueling, that was all decent. It was on point. And he had confidence in his actions. Well, I don't think it's the system's fault that, that all those individual things, bad passing and touches, have regressed. But it is the system's fault that led, the system's flaws that led to his initial struggle to fit in and perform. And then it's a snowball, right? It's a circle. 
and that affects his confidence and that in turn makes the system even worse because he doesn't fit when he plays and it just it just goes from bad to worse all the time. So we have this incredibly stacked midfield on paper. So now you have Gundogan, you have Pedri, you have Frankie de Jong. These three are definitely in the realm of elite, one would say. Um, Gavi, unfortunately, is out for the season. And then you have Oriol Romeo, about whom we had just talked. Correct. And then you have Fermin Lopez. But as a composite, this midfield's definitely not delivering to the purpose of controlling and dictating the tempo of the game. What is our optimum midfield? And based on the profile of these players, where should they play? And we actually had a, a great discussion on this exact topic in our latest video and, and, and stay tuned for that if you're listening. And to me, there are different options, right? But in terms of profiles, as you said, it, Pedri, Kunduan and, and Frankie de Jong did not the most complementary of profiles. They're not the most optimal and most balanced midfield that we can field. But it is currently the best trident, so the best trio, trio that Xavi can deploy in terms of individual quality. So in an ideal scenario, Barcelona would have a play, player like Romeo and a Frankie deep and a player like Gundogan higher up in the tent. So that's if you want if you want to have a trident and you can't have a single pivot because we don't have a thing. Ideally, you have someone like Romeo, but much, much better, who can be a single pivot and then you can have Frankie and Pedri ahead of him. That's the ideal scenario, but we don't have the players for that. So we have to have a double pivot. And that double pivot, someone like Romeo needs to be accompanied by someone like Frankie. And then that leaves us with the number 10 role where you need to have a good one. Basically, instead, what we have is a Frankie and a Gundogan deep and a Pedri in the 10 role. Two out of those three players are not being used at the maximum capacity. So that's where the suboptimal thing comes into play. That said, however, uh, this midfield, in particular, this trio, Frankie, Pedri, and Gundogan, is just it's dripping with technical excellence. And that it, it can still work, especially against teams that you can reliably dominate on that technical quality alone. But back to the question, how do you ensure they provide um, the maximum output in attack? It, it's simple when you think about it, because there are two main requirements, in, in my mind at least. Firstly, the play has to flow through them. That means that Barca need to retain possession with them on the ball, rather than skipping play in favor of accessing space quickly. The more these three players interact amongst each other, the better. It's very simple. The premise is very simple, but Barca don't do this. Why? It's because they see space. They want to conquer space, exploit space as quickly as possible. This is where the ver verticality issue comes from. They skip play often. And when you have a midfield three that is built on technical, on the ball quality, that actively works against you. The second aspect, since there is no ball winners and no natural defenders in that th three players, in that collective in midfield, it is absolutely necessary and crucial that you retain compactness, especially in that three plus two base in the first phase, because Barca usually have three players in the first phase and then the double pivot ahead of them. 
and then you protect them that way. This compactness will also be key in them combining well because they will be closer to each other. And that's all there is to it, actually. The trident that's down quality alone can squash almost anyone. But sadly, as it is right now, they do not complement each other fully. On the bright side, however, there's enough class, there's enough quality in there to make it work regardless. But it will take some time. It'll, it takes some adjusting and it will take some work, both from the players and, and from Xavi to create the setup and to create the, the tactics at the end of the day that will, and that will help this Trident actually function properly enough. I personally think that Pedri still yet isn't ready to play that number 10. He can be. He's very young. So he's all the time in the world to adapt and evolve his game and become the number 10 player. But I still don't think he is that number 10 in the whole kind of a player yet. And this is no shade on him. He's an amazing player. But I think his natural strengths lie in playing a little bit from the deep, and then bring the ball out and then building associated play. And the more he sees the ball, the more he plays with the ball, the more he's influential on the ball and the game itself. And now I want to throw a curveball at you with the next question. Staying with the midfield, <laughs> say a, an offer comes in that's worth around the 100 million mark. Let's say something like that. It's enough to make a profit and resolve the wage bill and dig Barcelona just a little bit out of that financial black hole. So 100 million offer for Frankie de Jong. Should Barca take it? Yes or no? I will say something that most people will give me for that, but I would say yes. I would take that, Amelia. Because the fact of the matter is, Frankie's been amazing. He's been amazing this season and he has been one of the major reasons or some of the good games that we have played, even last season, let's be honest about that. His, con his contribution to the league, league win was immense. Having said that, the kind of player Frankie is for him to shine, I think Arsenal's a better team than Barcelona. That's what I personally think when I see Arsenal playing. I think he will have those kind of complementary profiles to make him shine even more, number one. And number two, while he has been good for Barcelona, he is still not a difference maker in the way where he completely flips the game on his head. If you get 100 million, you put 60 million of that on a person like, let's say, Zubi Mendy. I think part of what Frankie does can be covered in that. And then you re use rest of the money to pick up maybe more attacking power in the final third. He's a great player, probably in this team, maybe one of the best that we have. But is he helping the team become bigger? Yes, it will affect our ball-carrying effect ability to some extent. But I think there are players like that who can do that. Not maybe as good as him, but maybe we don't need it as good as him. Maybe we need more coverage in other areas to be more effective as a team. And this is not Frankie's fault. Is it? It's just how Barcelona's squad planning has been done, which I don't think has been the most effective squad planning. We had to go with the money that we had and we had to go for the players that we could buy within that money. And so it was a banded solution. Yeah, I, th I think it's very, I don't know what you call it, poetic justice or whatnot, but if Barca would just sell Frankie for a high sum and then go into the market and get 
a proper number six, a holding midfielder. I think at that point, they would get the player that would eventually unlock Frankie uh, yeah, and allow Frankie to be 100% Frankie de Jong. And that's, it's just sad and funny at the same time to me because we would need to sell Frankie in order to buy what he desperately needs in this team. And this is a juicy question. I, I can't help but wonder. I can already feel the controversy building, as, as you said. But yeah, there are several factors here, I feel like, in play. The most important ones being one that you mentioned already, which is Barcelona's financial situation. And number two is maximizing Frankie, or maybe not maximizing, but rather putting a price on the value he provides now. Right. So with number one, it's simple. There's no denying that this would inject life into the club's finances, both in terms of just the cash that we would get and the relief for the wage bill. But number two is interesting to me because Barca are not equipped to maximize Frankie de Jong, not just yet at least. And even with that being said, he's still easily among the most influential players in the squad. He's not, maybe he's not a difference maker in, in, in the purest sense because those players are often, more often than not at least, in the forward line. But if they can get a proper holding midfielder while still retaining Frankie de Jong, so someone who can anchor both Frankie and Pedri in that midfield at the same time, because currently the reason why we can't have Frankie and Pedri at full capacity on the pitch at the same time is because we're missing a profile to anchor in the right circumstances. And I firmly believe that Barca should not be selling those kinds of players unless they are certain they, they can't use him properly. And I think they can use him properly. They should use him properly. And in that sense, if Barca can get someone to play alongside him, so we need a six, we need someone next to him or at least behind him in certain situations. And you mentioned Arsenal, and they are so well-equipped because they have Rice. They have Declan Rice, who is probably the best holding midfielder on the planet or the market at least at this moment. So I think, yes, he would probably flourish more in that system, in that structure, in that team. But if Barca can somehow retain Frankie de Jong and get a number six next summer, let's say, I think that would just make this midfield set. I'm still leaning towards no, but that's maybe just my sentiments, my attachment, let's say, to the player himself and what he represents. And that, not just in this team, but the overall, his affection for the club as well. And the fairy tale that this was supposed to be. So maybe that's just me being sentimental. But yeah, let's put it let's put it there just for now. Okay. So that brings us to our final question. And this is also one of my personal favorites. Uh, Barca are known for playing a high line. We all know that. We have all seen that. Uh, but we've also seen that lately it hasn't performed the way uh, it used to. Last year we had a good defense, at least a good defensive record. This year it hasn't been the case. Dom, my question to you is what is Barca's best high-line defensive setup within the system that we have with the players that we have? Oof, I love these highly tactical questions and I, I can see why it's one of your favorites. Often, these questions kind of make you think and really think about everything that our squad is built for and the things it may not be built for. And I've seen a lot of people say they would like us to abandon the high-line approach because it's too risky and we can't defend with it properly and you know, so on and so forth. And that's all fine. But then those often, those same people will say, oh, but I would love Barca to remain this possession-heavy, dominant juggernaut team who suffocates the opposition. The problem is you can't really have both of those things, right? 
possession-heavy sides like Barcelona, they don't want possession in meaningless zones. And I say meaningless, there's no meaningless zones. But if all your possession dominant comes from the first phase of build-up and only there, you're doing something wrong, right? And those teams, want they, what they want to do with that possession is they want to pin the opposition down and sustain pressure through their on-the-ball dominance, right? That's the goal. And for that to be achieved, you need a highlight. Of course, you could instruct the defense to stay deeper. I guess you could, theoretically, but that would completely destroy your ref defense and any semblance of compactness that you would get. So one without the other is very difficult. Back to the question had, though, what's Barca best setup when using a highlight? Let's get one thing out of the way straight away, and that's Araujo. He's in there, no doubt. There's just not much they can say here. You can debate on what he does in possession, but without him, that back line gets questionable, right? Between Christensen and Inigo, there's room for debate there. But in terms of pure defensive coverage and dueling, I still feel Christensen has been more reliable when stepping up and immediately collapsing onto the attackers. Inigo does it well. He's experienced enough, and more often than not, he will do it. But I just feel like his timing is off. And at times, against the last games as well, I, th I think, I feel the opposition found joy in exploiting that. Uh, so maybe Christensen over Indigo in some situations. But now that Kunde is the controversial one. The issue with him is that he struggles in a high line, there's no doubt, when there's a lot of space that needs covering. He doesn't have the legs for that, unfortunately. And the right side, so the, the fullback area, offers him some protection because that acts like an extra defender in uh, other possession. But often, he will also run into similar issues against attackers with pace, and especially attackers with momentum, with that dynamic superiority, who get a head start on him, on their side. So with Kunde, it's all about his in-possession value and his box defending. And we tend to forget that before his injury, he was probably... Among He was among our best defenders for a while. But purely looking at this high-line suitability and disregarding those other factors, the context, other variables, he's not ideal. Especially in that center-back role where he's exposed to a lot of space, where he's exposed on both sides, right? So in a backline three, all of Araujo, Christensen, and Inigo would be ahead of him in this aspect. In a back four, him as a right back would be a better choice. And then you would have Balde on the other side, who is another crucial piece of the puzzle in defending in the high line. So you would have Balde, you would have Christensen, Araujo, and Kunde. If you do enjoy the content, please do subscribe and follow our accounts. We are everywhere across X, YouTube, and of course our Barca football blog. So please do check it out if you want more content like this, and then until next week, stay safe and visca el Barca.